So you've either experienced this as a child or you've done this as a parent. The child goes up to his parents and he wants something. He maybe wants to eat pizza at 11.30 at night or she wants to stay over at a friend's house or the junior hire wants to play Fortnite till three o'clock in the morning or they wanna do this, they wanna do that, they wanna have this, they wanna have that and the parent's response is no and the child's response immediately is why not? And parents, short of patience and logical reasons, respond with the words we've all heard. Because I said so. Now, this isn't a parenting guilt trip. If you do that, I'm not your conscience. I'm not telling you that's wrong. But we found in this text, Jesus is on trial. See, Pastor Brad introduced us to Jesus healing this man that had been lame for about 32 years. And Jesus heals him, but not only heals him, he heals him on the Sabbath. And these Jewish leaders weren't having that. They were upset. So they accused Jesus, what gives you the rights? Why do you do this on the Sabbath? That is not okay. And Jesus, Pastor Mark showed us last week, his first argument while he's on trial is, I'm God. Me and the Father are one. You can imagine the fireworks that created. He's made them even more mad. Not only are they mad that he did something that's against the law, their law, he did something that they would see blasphemous. So they continue to put Jesus on trial. And here's what I want to hear this morning as we dive into this text. Jesus has every right to say, because I said so. The Son of God is on trial. He's being accused of blasphemy. He could have every right to give these people the words, because I'm God. And I said so. And not give them an ounce of time. That's not what he does. What he does in this text is he gives them four witnesses. He brings four witnesses to the stand to testify that he is the son of God. Because that's what he says in verse 30. He says, I don't testify, verse 30 and 31, I don't testify to myself. I'm not dependent on my own witness. I got more. Let me show them to you. So what I want to do this morning is show you four witnesses and talk about the implications for us as a church. First witness, John the Baptist. Look at verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me. If you write in your Bible, it would be really helpful to circle or underline the word witness. It's going to be repeated a lot in this text. There's another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that I, you may be saved. Hold on to that. That you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to receive him for a little while. So he's just... These Jewish leaders were familiar with John. Put yourself in these Jewish leaders' shoes. They haven't heard from God in over 400 years. No word from him. No prophets. 
And they were longing for a word from God, so they created this system that worked without a special revelation, but they haven't heard from him. So, Jude, so John the Baptist steps on the scene, and they're like, oh boy, here it comes. We got ourselves a prophet. And they thought this this prophet was going to tell them what they wanted to hear, so they liked him. Oh, yeah, John the Baptist, yes, we got a prophet. We've heard from God. And then John the Baptist says this. Step away, brood of vipers. He calls them brood of vipers. You know Jewish history. That is a cuss word to them. He called them snakes. The snake is the enemy symbol of the Jewish people. And then he tells them to keep in repentance. Reminds them that the faith they have is a faith of repentance. They loved John for a little while, but he told them the truth. John's mission wasn't just to tickle the ears of the Jewish leaders. John's mission was to be a lamp for the coming Messiah. It's prophesied in Psalm 132 in Malachi that a lamp would come before the horn of David, shine a light on the road to prepare the way for the coming king. Jesus is on his way. And John the Baptist meets Jesus one of the first times he meets him. Behold, the Lamb of God is here. And Jesus meets him, and Jesus asks him to be baptized. Hey, John, uh, you're baptizing other people. Will you baptize me? John's like, no way. You need to baptize me. You're the king. And John the Baptist baptizes him, and he testified. John 134, look it up. So I surely have seen that this is the Son of God. But John the Baptist's story doesn't end there. John the Baptist is beheaded for his honest prophecy, telling people the truth. He told somebody what they didn't want to hear, and he was killed. One of the, Jesus calls this man one of the most godly men to ever walk the earth, killed. This is a reminder, friend, that Good things don't always happen to good people. Maybe you're here today and you're trying to be the best mom possible, trying to be the best dad possible, trying to be the best coworker possible, trying to be the best faithful Christian possible, and you feel like nobody's watching. Not only is nobody watching, people are making fun of me. Not only is people making fun of me, I feel like I'm suffering. I feel like the more godly I become, the worse things get. Does that sound familiar? And let it. Let this sink in, friend. If that's you this morning, if nobody sees, Jesus sees. If nobody is watching, Jesus is watching. You are being a witness to the testimony of the Son of God, even if you don't know it. Your kids are watching, parents. Your coworkers are watching. And one day, Lord providing, they might say, hey, could you tell me about Jesus again? I'm really in a spot where I need him. God is watching you. 
This testimony is a solid foundational testimony because these Jewish leaders thought John was pretty cool. He didn't blaspheme. He didn't call himself son of God. So Jesus says, witness number one to the stand, John the Baptist. But he gets even more intense. He brings witness number two up. Witness number two, the works of Jesus. Look at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness that I, the Father, has sent me. So the first testimony and witness is John the Baptist. The second witness is the works of Jesus. So Jesus is doing work and miracle after work and miracle, and he's blowing people's minds. Guy's lame for 30 plus years. Oh, cool. Get up. You're blind. Open your eyes. You got leprosy. Shake it off. You're clean. Oh, they're not even in the same town. Cool. I got them. Gotcha. They're clean. And these miracles aren't just ends in of themselves. I believe these miracles have two goals. These miracles have two goals. One, to show the kingdom of God. He says, they testify that I am accomplishing the mission from my Father. So when Jesus does a miracle, it's like he's opening up a window, saying this is what the kingdom of God's like. When he cares for the poor, when he cares for the needy, when he heals the lame and he heals the blind, what he's doing, he's opening up a window and saying, a new kingdom is coming. He's showing us what the kingdom of God is like. He's showing us a little foreshadowing, a little glimpse, a little teaser. Say, yeah, you think this is awesome? Wait till you get there. Because in the kingdom of heaven, when it comes fulfilled on earth, there will be no lame, there will be no leper, there will be no blind, there will be no cancer, there will be no sickness, there will be no, nothing that can be broken in us or in the world will exist. And Jesus is showing us in that window, it's coming. That's what the miracles are about. But not just that. The miracles were to validate that he is the son of God. That's what he says here. That He's basically saying in this witness, he's like, what more do you want me to do? Who has done what I've done? Who is doing the type of things that I'm doing? I'm a son of God, and here's the proof. Who is healing the blind? Who is healing the sick? Who is raising the dead? couple weeks, we want to see, he's going to take a, a young man's lunchbox and feed 5,000. Who does that? The Messiah. That's who does it. His miracles testify to him. Peter, in his sermon to the first church at Pentecost, says, He was attested to you through wonders and miracles and signs, but you killed him anyway. You can't say, well, I didn't know. Yes, you did. You saw it with your eyes. You heard it with your ears. Jesus is real. What Jesus is basically saying here is if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, 
It's probably a duck. Well, if it walks like the Messiah, talks like the Messiah, it probably is the Messiah. And they've missed it. Witness number one is John the Baptist. Witness number two, the works of Jesus. And witness number three, God the Father. Look at verse 37, 38. And the Father who sent me has himself witnessed about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe in the one he sent. Oh, he's, he's going deeper. Jesus would have been a savage lawyer. He's going deeper, deeper, and they're just like up against the ropes, up against the ropes. They're backing up. They got no answer for this. He says, not only does John witness about me, not only my miracles witness about me, the Father witnesses about me. He's probably talking about his baptism and other signs. Because upon his baptism, we see that in John chapter 1 reference, is that he goes underneath the water and he comes up and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and God cracks the sky open and says this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Here, here's why this is so startling. Look, look what 1 John chapter 5 says. John, the author of Gospels, you can hear the same language in this epistle. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this testimony of God that he has come concerning the, the son Whoever believe in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in the Son of God, listen to this, friend, made him a liar. When he brings God the Father involved and he says, this is my beloved Son, Jesus is claiming the Father has claimed me as Son. I am the Son of God. What he's telling these Jewish leaders, if you don't believe in me, you're calling God a liar. It's a strong accusation. They don't believe in God and what he said. These people have been trying to follow Yahweh, trying to obey Yahweh all their life. This system that they're doing, this laws they're obeying is all about pleasing God. And God, Jesus himself is looking them in the eyes and saying, hey, guess what? You're still a liar. A strong accusation. But he also says one of the reasons they, they don't believe because they don't have the word of God abiding in them. They missed it. They haven't, they've read the word, but it, the word hasn't gotten in them. They've been in the word, but the word hasn't gotten to their bones. They've missed it. They've missed the whole point. Witness number one, John the Baptist. Witness number two, the works of Jesus. Witness number three, God the Father, which leads us to witness number four, the scriptures. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. This is why the, the claim that you've read the word, but the word hasn't gotten into you is so strong because these were people of the book. Many of these leaders had the whole Torah, the first five books, memorized. 
They know this book. They are people of the scriptures. They search them. They know them. They have it on their bumper stickers. They have it on their walls from Etsy. They have everything on the scriptures. They know it. They most likely have it on their skin. They have it on their clothes. They have it on their buildings. They are Bible people. He says to them, his next layer of incredible lawyer ability, you think you know the Bible and you've missed the point. This book is about me. And he goes even deeper. He goes even more deep. He goes into the flesh. Look at verse 45. Look what he says. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. If you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in me? This reminds me, if you know the story, there's a story, a parable story of Lazarus and a rich man. And Lazarus goes to heaven, the rich man goes to hell. And the rich man is in hell saying, hey, Abraham, will you just send a message back to my family to believe? And here's what Abraham says. If they don't believe because of Moses, they won't believe in, for my message. This is, these, these Israelites, these Jewish leaders knew Moses well. He's like their like, great uncle they always talk about. Anybody have that uncle that's like, really famous, they never met, but they brag about it to everybody? That's what Moses was to these Jewish leaders. They know him. They talk about him. They know all his writings. They know all his history. They know his middle name. None of us know his middle name, but they know his middle name. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Moses isn't your friend on this situation. Moses, Moses condemns you. Why? Because Moses wrote about me. It's a reminder, friend, that this, this whole book, this entire book is not about itself. This entire book is about Jesus. Starting in Genesis, he is who walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.15, he's a seed that would crush the serpent's head. Genesis 7.6, he's the ark that would save us from God's wrath. Genesis 12.1, he's the son of Abraham that would bless the nations. Genesis 21.13, he's the only son killed by his father for our behalf. Genesis 50.20, he's a brother betrayed, but God turned it for good. Exodus 3 and 4, he's the unlikely son savior for his people. Exodus 12, he is a Passover lamb that's slain for the just judgment of God. Exodus 14, he leads us from slavery to delivery. Exodus 16, he is the bread of life. Exodus 17, he is the rock that only needs to be struck once. Exodus 20, he is the embodiment and fulfillment of the law. Exodus 24, he brought a new covenant with his blood. Exodus 26, he is a new tabernacle to enter the presence of God. Exodus 28, he is our new high priest in which we have an advocate. Exodus 32, thank God he's our shepherd that leads a stubborn and broken people. Exodus, Leviticus numbers, he became unclean so we become clean. He was kicked out of the camp so we will be brought in. Leviticus 16 and 17, he's the final atonement for the sins of the world. Numbers, he counts our names and knows them. Deuteronomy 3, he is a sovereign king over every nation. Deuteronomy 4, 21, he is our refuge for 
from our enemies. Deuteronomy 16, 19, he's our righteous judge. Deuteronomy 18, 18, he's a prophet to come better than Moses. Deuteronomy 24, he's our perfect and patient husband who never divorces his wife. Deuteronomy 31, he is our disciple-making leader that prepares the people for the work of the ministry. In Deuteronomy 34, he's our patient and loving Savior who was buried but rose on the third day and now seats at the right hand of the Father. This book, this book is not about itself. This book is all about Jesus. And that was the first five books. This whole thing is about Jesus. And friends, listen to this. Lest we be like the Jewish leaders, we can read this whole thing and miss the whole point. We can read this whole thing and become little Jewish leaders with Bibles all over our houses, Bibles all over our social media, but we don't get the affections and love for Jesus. May this book not just be a token. May this book be how we see Jesus. This book is not a book in of itself. This book is a window. I know we treat windows. We put shutters on them blinds on them and, and, and shades on them. They never shut. They're just there for decorations. But the goal of the window is to see what's beyond the window. This Bible is a window and what we see through it is Jesus. One of my favorite John Piper quotes is he says, I love my Bible like I love my eyes. Not because my eyes are lovely, because they help me see what is lovely. May this book become, not for you, a, a weapon without Jesus, because you've, you've felt the weapon, haven't you? When we read this Bible without Jesus, it becomes a weapon, doesn't it? Oh, did you know what, what, what this Bible verse says? It says you should do this. It says you should do that. Make you feel judgment. Make you feel shame and guilt. If you read this Bible without Jesus... It becomes a weapon. You read this Bible as a checklist, it becomes a badge. Man, I read my four chapters today. I'm up keeping with my plan. I'm actually weeks ahead. Look at me, Instagram. I am awesome. Your affections haven't changed one bit. See, the gospel is this, that our affections are uprooted from inside of us and chained from within and not just a moral makeup on the outside. If you read this book for some moral makeup, you'll find it, but you'll lay your head on the pillow tonight and be miserable. The gospel rescues us from a sin-infected disease, and this Bible's goal is to transform that inner working inside of you so you become more like Jesus. If you read this Bible without Jesus, you'll become a better person of yourself. If you read this Bible with Jesus, you will become like Jesus. The goal of this Bible is for you to see and savor and love forever Jesus. First witness, John the Baptist. Second witness, the works of Jesus. Third witness, God the Father. Fourth witness, 
the scriptures. But there's another witness. Not in this story, but Jesus tells about a witness that he commissions in Acts 1.8. He says, you will be my witness. He didn't say, he didn't say, you're going to be, you may be. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the earth. The question is not if you're a witness. The question is if you're a good one or a bad one. Because people are watching. So here's the question, Christian. Does your life make Jesus more believable? I know you're seeing that. You're feeling the pressure. Oh, Zach, got to get my act together, put my bootstraps up, get my morality on. No, 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 that's not what Jesus is calling you because here's why. These Jewish leaders were moral. They were buttoned up, slacks on a church, perfect tie, but they didn't have a love of God in them. Your witness isn't dependent on your morality. Your witness is dependent on your dependency. Are you leaning on Jesus? Because I've heard the sermon, go be Jesus to people. And you walk away like, oh, man, i got to be Jesus to people. (laughs) Woo! One day in, and you're screaming at your kids like, oh, no, I wasn't Jesus to people. Listen, don't be Jesus to people. They got one Savior. His name is Jesus. They don't need you to be the Savior. They need you to be leaning on him. Do they see you leaning into Jesus? They see you with your money, with your house, with your, how you treat your stuff, how you treat your waitress or waiter, how you treat your coworker. Do, does somebody think, man, they're leaning to Jesus. They're dependent on Jesus. Friend, I say this as a pastor, a brother, I'm for you. But if no one knows you're, the, no one knows you're a Christian, my question to you, are you one? If no one knows you're a Christian, ask yourself, am I one? Our life's calling, the way we're witnessing is to lean into Jesus. And our hope as a church is to give you opportunities. Our hope as a church is to put the ball on the tee so you hit the home run. The reason we recruit kids workers and students workers and hospitality is not so we keep the building safe. That's a goal, but that's not it. We want to set you up to be witnesses to a generation. We want you to see the growth that can happen through you. I'm not equipped. I don't know my Bible. Listen, if Bible intellectual capacity is the criteria for leaders, these people wouldn't make it. No, they need to be, see, dependent people. I could tell you story after story of kids workers and student workers that have seen the growth in spite of themselves. The reason we do things like best summer ever is not so that you have the funnest summer ever. We hope you have the funnest summer ever. The reason we do stuff like this is we won't put the ball on the tee so you hit the home run with your neighbor with your kids, with your coworker, 
Our hope is to help you be witnesses. Because listen, friend, we can invite, and that's a good thing. I hope we invite more and more people to hear the gospel. But many of the people you're around every day won't step in these doors. And you have the opportunity to lean into Jesus in front of them. Maybe you're here and you don't call yourself a Christian. And I'm so glad you are here. You chose out of all the days, out of all the churches to show up here. And I want to ask you a question. What witnesses are you believing? Because you are. You're believing a witness whether you know it or not. Maybe it's the witness of a particular book or author or maybe it's yourself. Every single person in this world that ever existed has faith. The question is, in who? I'd love for you to come to faith today. Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, you do not come to me to have life. You're not coming to Jesus because you're trying to find life everywhere else. In your relationships, in your work, in your social status, in your parenting, in your nightlife. I just want to ask you, how's that going? How's that going? Jesus says to you, come to me. You know what he doesn't say? With your doubts, when your unbeliefs, with your questions. He doesn't say, because I said so. If Jesus just said, because I said so, this book would be a lot shorter, wouldn't it? This whole book is, the goal of this whole book is to convince you to believe in the Son of God. We would love for you to do that today. Put your faith, turn from yourself, your own witness, the world's witness, and turn toward the witnesses of Jesus and come to faith in Christ. Lean into him and he will have you today. Put your faith in Christ He can handle your doubts. He can handle your questions. He can handle your concerns. He can handle your accusations. He'll listen to you. He'll have you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this precious word. I pray affections were stirred in here today, not just for your Bible, but for the glory and fame of your son, Jesus. I pray we leave here with winds in ourselves to make disciples in our neighbors, to make disciples in our community, to make disciples in our workplace, to make disciples in our home, to be witnesses of you, to be in a line of witnesses that Jesus says, this is another witness. May we be found in that. I pray our church is not necessarily known by just the excellent things we do. I pray College Park Church is known because we lean into Jesus. Do this for your fame and glory. Pray us in Christ's name. Amen.